The boundaries between personal and professional lives are blurring an awful lot. I want to have a similar level of security on both. People are worried that they shouldn't get involved because security is something that they don't know much about and that they might do something wrong. Once people start learning a bit about all of the scary things out there or all of the ways that you can be insecure, it can feel that it's an unsolvable problem. The work is endless, but at least you can make progress to being in a better place than you were yesterday. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. It is a part of the Secure Developer community. Check out thesecuredeveloper.com for great talks and content about developer security and to ask questions and share your knowledge. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us back at the Secure Developer Podcast. Today we have a great guest. We have Kate Whalen from The Guardian. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show here, Kate. Thank you for having me, Guy. So, uh, Kate, we're going to dig a lot into sort of The Guardian and, and how you work and security and the likes. But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, what is it that you do? And maybe, like, how did you get into this, this world of security? Okay, so I'm a security engineer at The Guardian, which means that my day-to-day is uh, writing a lot of code, but also doing a bit of security advocacy as well. I haven't actually been a security engineer for that long. I um, moved from a regular developer role into security engineering because it's an area that I've always been interested in. My background's actually in pathology and microbiology, so I like to think that um, I came into security mostly because I'm just constantly interested in how systems get compromised or infections and viruses spread. Well, I guess it's a different. You went from one type of virus to another. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the terminology is the same, though. So um, that's that's nice and familiar, <laughs> at least. Yeah, so it's been kind of like an interesting kind of like three years kind of upping my security knowledge. Um, I actually went to uh, DevSecCon in London about three years ago, and that's where I started learning an awful lot of security-related things and just started trying to teach myself as much as I could in my free time and then eventually applied for the security engineering role. And how was that? What was the response in the company to sort of think about moving from dev to security? Was that a a frequent practice? Were you kind of a pioneer? So I'm the first person to do it to my knowledge. It is actually quite encouraged. So at The Guardian, we encourage people to move around inside the organization. We have people having quite long tenures, which I think is amazing because we encourage our developers to move back and forth between maybe a developer manager role or maybe a tech lead role or to pursue careers in other areas of the business that interest them, which allows them to maybe try out a different skill sets or practice other areas that they haven't had a chance to. So yeah, for me, it was a bit of a kind of big move, um, at least kind of an internal big move, <laughs> but uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. Very cool. Do you feel it was helpful from uh, like when you're in the security engineering role, is it useful that you came from the sort of the dev team in the company or is it sort of all the same? How helpful is it that you were a developer before you got into uh, into the security engineering role? I think it's really, really helpful because a lot of companies have an issue whereby different teams or different kind of like groups are a bit siloed. And it can definitely be kind of like the issue where maybe you have a quality team or an application security team and it's um, more of a throw it over the wall attitude whereby developers kind of like and security don't get a chance to talk or developers and operations don't get a chance to talk. So 
I know a lot of people kind of like around the company, which is nice because then when I have a problem or I need some support or I need someone to review a PR, I've got a large team of developers who I, you know, used to be part of the team of that I can still kind of go to and rely on. So it allows us to be a bit more cross-functional. Yeah, I love that idea. You know, I think it's sort of a good personal, you know, sort of people type aspect. Uh, you know, you you connect, you can relate to the problems, you know people individually. Uh, and it's also, I guess, sometimes professionally valuable because you know the systems, right? So you come with a certain amount of knowledge over there and, and sort of bring that into the security team and help educate. Yeah. From the point of bringing like developer tooling or sharing best practices, there are things that um, a lot of our kind of like developer teams might be using or our internal tooling that in InfoSec, we can really benefit from adopting. Oh, very cool. And, and did you find you, you brought along kind of a good number of those? I mean, are there sort of a couple of examples to tout from dev tools that you kind of brought along to uh, to the journey? Yeah, so definitely at the moment, my um, my objective for the quarter is setting up a lot of uh, a lot more of CI/CD, so kind of like mm. continuous deployment for some of our InfoSec tooling. So being able to rely on the tooling that other members of my company are working on and able to you know, request features or help from them has been really, really helpful. Yeah. So give us a slightly bigger picture of the security org. So you're a security engineer. What are the different teams in the security org and uh, and, and how do they relate? Okay. So um, to be honest, there's only five of us in InfoSec. So um, we are a small team. Um, I'm a security engineer um, within it, but we've all got different roles and we've all got different specializations. So what we want to do is be able to secure an awful lot of the Guardian, and that can be everything from helping employees manage their passwords to advocating for secure developer practices Mm -hmm. uh, to building out tooling so that we can be more strategic and less tactical. So our remit's kind of quite broad, and we have all kind of got our own specializations because as well as doing the development side of things, we might also be looking at join us, leave us processes, or how do we do account management or kind of like email auditing? Yeah, yeah. And how is it different to be a security engineer versus sort of maybe the other titles in the uh, in the team? So to be a security engineer in the team, for me, it means that I'm trying to look at our current workflows and design tooling or solutions that can automate some of it, or at least automate the boring parts. And also, we have an awful lot of alerting and monitoring that isn't really integrated with itself at the moment, or kind of like integrated with all the different systems. So I would quite like my inbox not to be quite so inundated with all of these alerts. So trying to find better ways to ingest and respond to security alerting and data would be kind of like one of my other kind of like big remits. So... I'm looking at building tooling and then also supporting the developer teams around things such as security reviews. So if they maybe want to look at how their um, AWS accounts are configured. So a lot of our infrastructure is deployed on AWS. We're quite a big user of um, cloud services, but sometimes you need a second pair of eyes or you want someone to look through how you've configured all of your kind of like security groups or your applications to make sure that you haven't left any security holes. So that's something I can help with. And other things such as doing security reviews of applications to see if people are adopting secure coding practices. So you're basically, you're a security engineer in kind of two capacities. On one hand, you are an engineer yourself. You you write 
kind of you 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 build stuff, you sort of put you know the security tools into the pipelines and the likes. And on the other side, you support the engineering team working with them. I guess your you know, like engineering skills kind of come into the forefront when you need to review code or you need to understand you know how an application works. Is that a fair assessment? Yep, that's an excellent summary. Cool. Okay, so you have you know like you're in the Guardian. It's a fairly influential organization. You know, it's a a lot of uh, a lot of good news that come out of it. Thank you. How do you look at indeed all these different kind of risks that that you face? You know, how do you how do you approach the sort of the threat model of the Guardian? I suppose through different attack vectors. So we might have a digital threat model. So if we're worried about kind of like how we might be attacked through our infrastructure or through our applications, that's one kind of like risk assessment or threat model to do. And then the other one might be more of physical safety or operational safety and practices. So, you know, how do we ensure that people's accounts don't get hacked or that their passwords don't get compromised? So doing that type of threat modeling or risk assessment. So when you look at the the population in the Guardian, you know you have, of course, you have the tech as you sort of build the sort of the the web content, and of course, the you know all the different technology pieces. But you also have a fair bit of journalists uh, in the company, you know, as as one would expect. How how does that change the security work? Does that have any impact versus the technology staff? Yeah, absolutely. So the kind of assessments or threat models we might want to do would depend on the kind of individual and also sometimes the location. So if you are traveling abroad, you might want to consider which devices you bring with you or kind of like what checks you put in place or kind of like other kind of like security practices you might want to adopt before doing that. So I apply that to myself as well. So if I'm traveling to different countries, I'll have a different threat model for each one of those countries according to kind of like how concerned I feel I should be about me going there. So you might want to do the same thing with your employees if they are kind of like traveling. It might be to cover a protest or it might be to kind of like cover a sporting event. But sometimes you do have to think about, okay, like how do we look after them and their devices in the field? So this is, you know, really like your, the level of safety you might attribute to, uh, you know, cellular connectivity, even if you're sort of in a more sort of a dictatorial regime type uh, surroundings, or sort of you know your phone being physically stolen if you're in the midst of a protest. Is that is that what you're referring to? You have to think about those types of threats. Yeah, so you would have to go through kind of all of the worst case scenarios, um, and it might also not just be an employee; it might be someone that you're meeting with. So you know, what are their expectations around their confidentiality and their privacy or anonymity? They want to kind of like have certain boundaries respected and so how do you ensure that employees or kind of like individuals can do their jobs but also kind of look after themselves and whoever they might be in communication with interesting i'm kind of tempted to drill into that sort of you know journalist route uh but i think you know we're sort of at the sort of the secure developer uh uh, podcast here so let's sort of take a look at the other population which is your developers you know you, you mentioned a bunch of this you know when you described your role about how you work with developers to do code reviews and the likes but if you if you sort of had to, you know, like look at the learnings right over the course of these years that you're in security engineering, what do you find was effective working with the developers? You know, how do you try to sort of engage the team in kind of helping you make the software secure? So before I even joined the Guardian, we always had a system of security champions or security agents. Uh, we kind of switched between the two names. Mm. Uh, mm. So trying to get developers who are interested in security or just want to learn more about it to come to 
semi-regular meetings where we might try and learn something together or run through kind of like one of the kind of like small training games that um, kind of like various websites have or maybe use it as a bit of a knowledge sharing opportunity. So that's been really good as a way of ensuring that somewhere that people can ask for help or talk about things that might have happened to them. It's also a really good forum to discuss security incidents or potential security incidents. So if someone's noticed something strange going on, then they might mention it that type of meeting and then it drives a bit of discussion. And then you might have someone ask a question about a particular vulnerability and then someone else explains it. So that's a really good way of kind of doing kind of like communication and engagement. Uh, how does it logistically operate this group? So like you mentioned, you know, sharing and meeting, you know, like how often does this group meet? You know, how many what are the rough ratios of sort of security agents to developers? So I'm normally the one that organizes it. So if I'm being organized, it's once a month. So it might just be kind of like myself from the InfoSec team there and then hopefully developers from our different development teams. So kind of like a mix of people from different seniority levels and different projects. So hopefully kind of like covering most of the areas, which is good because then if you have an announcement to make or a bit of guidance or advice to give out, then you can encourage them to share it on with their teams. And um, on top of that, you might also want to do kind of like additional kind of like sessions. So I'm running a Halloween session so I can share all of the scary stories that have happened over the last year. That's a great one. Do you also use, like you, you talked a lot about sort of, you know, these people coming along and sort of sharing within the group, you know, problems or sort of sharing experiences. Do they also serve as kind of good, maybe sort of advocates, right? Or sort of extensions of you inside the, the different teams? And do you have... Any learnings about you know what what did and didn't work in trying to achieve that? Yeah, so I think something that works quite well is having smaller focus sessions. So not necessarily having too many people along because if you've got lots of people in a room, it tends to make some people less likely to speak up or more worried to admit that they don't know something or to ask questions. So particularly with new developers, I like to try and have them for like a one-on-one or maybe just two-on-one intro session to explain how we approach security at The Guardian and the fact that it is a shared responsibility and that they should never feel bad about asking questions about it, even if it's just saying, is this quite right? And then it's a good time to also talk to people about you know, how to look after passwords and how to kind of like set a strong password and why multi-factor authentication is amazing because yeah. with our developers, I imagine like most places, our developers have got quite privileged access. So they have, you know, they can run pretty much anything on their laptops and they can, you know, access an awful lot of systems. So you really, really, really want to make sure that they understand how not to get hacked. Big, big fan of two-factor authentication. Definitely kind of a one of the greatest things since uh, since I spread. You know, we need one of those for all the security problems. You know, <laughs> one of those uh, yeah. uh, magic bullet solutions. You know, as you talk to a lot, you're doing these sort of one-on-one, two-on-one developer uh, interviews or sort of not interviews conversations uh, around security. What are sort of some common misconceptions you come across? I find a lot of people think that they have a password system which solves the, you know, having a unique password problem. So they'll have kind of like, you know, they'll have a start of a password and then they'll kind of iterate on that or kind of like do variations on that. Um, And they have a unique system that no one else could ever, ever figure out. So um, (laughs) 
that's an interesting one to kind of talk to people about and maybe suggest other alternatives. Other misconceptions about security. I haven't run into too many. I suppose the main one is that people are worried that they shouldn't get involved in it because security is something that they don't know much about and that they might do something wrong. So, you know, is there probably like an expert or someone else who should be looking after all of that? So trying to persuade everyone that actually best efforts are better than no efforts. So even if you feel like you don't know that much about security, actually just ask questions. And we're never going to be annoyed if someone, you know, sends an email to us asking, does this look quite right? Or should I click on this link? We'd much, much rather everyone just send that than, you know, get fished or, you know, open up malware. That's a great one and kind of you know, very much an emphasis, I guess, or an aspect of this shared responsibility, right? And is they need to accept that shared responsibility. When we talked before, you used the term security nihilism yep. uh, <laughs> as kind of the description of it. So I guess how do you you battle it with, with this type of like, just, hey, know that it's okay, you know, like we're going to be receptive or... How has the response to that been? You know, do people use that? Do they do they embrace the responsibility? Yeah, I hope so. So um, definitely had a um, a new joiner kind of flag um, an interesting kind of like blip in some of our monitoring to us, which was kind of like good to kind of like see and then go chat to them. And you know, about, it was about a week after they joined as well, so it was wonderful that they immediately thought, "Oh, I should tell Infosec about this." Yep. So definitely, kind of like it feels that it's been helpful kind of like having these conversations and then also people know who you are they know where you sit and what you look like and you're a bit more approachable rather than it being something scary to involve security or infosec where you know we only we don't want to only turn up when something bad happens yeah but with security nihilism often whether i'm doing training kind of like internally at work or kind of like at some external meetups once people start learning a bit about all of the scary things out there or all of the ways that you can be insecure, it can feel that it's an unsolvable problem. There's too much to fix and we'll never be secure. So, you know, where even to start? So trying to combat that feeling of just pick up something, you know, the work is endless, but, you know, at least you can make progress to being in a better place than you were yesterday. Yeah, indeed. Well, and, and if you don't do it, nobody else will. Like it's kind of the reality of you know it, nobody else can keep up. Really, you know, developers have to embrace a lot of that work. How do you uh, how do you assess? So you know, like I you know also kind of having spoken to you before, a lot of the approach thought you know your comment on CI/CD is through tooling, right? Is through sort of you know you bring tools into the mix, you put them into CI/CD. What do you look for in the solutions that you bring in? You know, what uh, how do you assess? tools that would work in your context versus ones that that you don't think would be a fit. Yeah. So yeah, so tooling's one half and then the other one is adoption because you really need to make sure that if you're getting tooling in or if you're building tooling that it's solving the problem that developers actually have and that they want to use it otherwise it's just going to kind of collect dust and no one's going to log in or check any of your dashboards. So if I'm building internal tooling, then that's great because my users are normally trapped in the same building with me and they can't get away. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can do an awful lot of UX and testing and feedback and ask people what they would like to be automated and, you know, show them what you're currently kind of like displaying and then get feedback on that. So that also makes sure that they are aware of all the features of the product. So if you have a kind of short sit down and chat with them and show them through it, they kind of, they will actually say, oh, I didn't realize that 
you know, I could get the information from this kind of like panel. So that's really, really useful. So making sure that people actually have a chance to spend some time with the tooling will mean that they can understand how they can get value from it. With kind of picking out tooling, it's really great if our developers have some tooling in mind that they're already using. So um, funnily enough, actually, with SNCC, one of the reasons why we adopted it kind of like as an organization is because we had about four or five different teams all trying out kind of like the free version. So um, when we went to the enterprise, that was interesting to reconcile because we had five different The Guardian SNCC accounts <laughs> to try and integrate. But that was ideal because we'd had five different developers all decide that they wanted to use SNCC. Yeah, well... I'd- Always appreciate it, uh, and I think I love I love the comment on sort of the the developer uh, usability bit. So, like you do, I guess it, it makes perfect sense, but it's still unfortunately not terribly common to sort of do basically usability testing for your security tools with your developers and iterate on those with them. So, seems like sort of a, a really bright idea, and yet not one that is done often enough. And it's really important for developers because we tend to have a lower threshold for bad UX, particularly if we're working yep. on applications ourselves. You know, we've um, we've done A-B testing. We we know what's kind of like a good user flow and what's a bad user flow. So when we're confronted with a very unintuitive system that doesn't seem like it's had any user testing, it's intentionally frustrating us. Yeah. No, I mean, it's excellent. It's also using kind of the, the talent and the skills in-house of how to do it right. And you know, probably tapping a little bit into your skills as a Coming, having come from the dev side of the fence within the organization, but also it gets people to have skin of the game, right? If you've commented and you've given your feedback and your feedback was implemented, then you're that much more inclined to actually uh, uh, embrace and use the solution because you feel you kind of had a hand creating it. Before I, you know, we kind of let you uh, get back into that security uh, security work. I like to ask every guest that comes on the show, you know, if you have one bit of advice, one tip to give a security team looking to level up their their uh, security foo, uh, what would that be? Probably to adopt password managers. <laughs> it's a really quick win and then get everyone else to adopt password managers, ideally for their kind of like professional life and personal life, because I think the boundaries between personal and professional lives are blurring an awful lot. Yeah. I know that my GitHub you know, password reset goes to my personal email account. So um, I want to have a similar level of security on both. And ideally, I want to be using password managers everywhere. So um, with password managers, you can also kind of like, you know, get an enterprise account and get team shares so that you don't have developers sharing secrets or kind of API keys via Slack or (laughs) other less secure channels. So um, not just good for passwords, good for everything else that you don't want to be kind of like shared in the clear. Not in sticky notes on the uh, on the board or sort of you know shared over uh, over Slack. Excellent, excellent tip. You know, fully well appreciated. I'm a, I'm a big fan and don't know any of my passwords. You know, <laughs> they're all in the password manager and uh, as they should be. Ideal. Yeah. Uh, Kate, this has been uh, a pleasure. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thanks everybody for tuning in. And I hope you join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or get involved in this community, find us at thesecuredeveloper.com or on Twitter at thesecuredev. Visit heavybit.com to find additional episodes, full transcriptions, and other great podcasts. See you next time.